Welcome back to the Rural Roundup, produced in association with the Scottish Government. I'm Kerry Hammond, and on today's episode, we'll join farm advisors Tiffany, George and Robert to find out about what's happening in the agricultural sector. I'm going to tell you about some events and resources available to you through the Scottish Farm Advisory Service, and I'm joined by Professor Davy McCracken, head of the Hill and Mountain Research Centre at SRUC, to tell us what's on his desk. Hi Robert, George, how are you doing? I'm fine Tiffany, um, it's pretty bitter up here. Um, it's uh, fairly dry, but uh, farmers are chomping at the bit to get going top dressing. Um, but what's it like down with you Robert? Yeah, good. Um, things are drying up, ground's taken up quite nicely, uh, lots of field work happening. Probably we're at the point where um, things are getting a bit cold, you know, things are cooling off and uh, maybe grass beginning to go back a wee here, but certainly everybody's pretty happy with where we're at, I think. Still seems to be fairly warm where we are. We had the thermometer in the soil um, this morning and we had it in two weeks ago. Two weeks ago it was five and a half degrees this morning it's up to seven degrees and um, so the soil's definitely getting warmer and it is noticeable there's a lot more grass growing now and the crops are beginning to get going again what's on your desk this week Robert? Uh, this week we've lots of um, PSF and SAGS claims and bits and pieces to do um, thankfully I think we're, we're quite well through them and then obviously with IACS on the horizon so we've got Lots of appointments and a bit of logistics stuff to do as to who who are we seeing when and um, you know who's got entitlements to transfer and that type of thing. So we've got a lot of our eye begins to move towards IAX pretty quickly in the next few days. I think everyone's starting to look towards IAX now. You mentioned firstly about PSF. Um, so the deadline has now closed for the 2022 claims and the deadline um, has opened or the application window has opened for 2023 so applications can be made from the 1st of March 2023 through until the 29th of February 2024 for any work that has been carried out from the 1st of January 2023 through until the 31st of December 2023 um, and it's really exciting this year as well as the carbon order and soil claims that we had um, last year we also have animal health and welfare interventions and there's a list of options which are available to select from and farmers can select up to two of the seven options and can receive a £250 standard cost for doing the work. Um, Robert, how are you finding them? Yeah, to be honest, it's one I'm probably going to... Looking at the scheme, it's a very much a vet scheme. You know, it's a it's a animal health driven scheme there are multiple options there and i i certainly think as an agricultural consultant i'm not that well placed to to provide advice in that world so you know i think it's a if i'm dealing with anyone talking about this stuff i'm encouraging them to speak to their vet and and have that good conversation with their vet because it's one of those schemes where there are um so it's a pilot there's things that will that government will learn from this process uh, we need to feedback our thoughts on it, but also we need to use that money that's available to the best benefit to your business. So having that health planning conversation with your vet and building something good with your vet is money really well spent. There's a risk in here that there's um, 
some of it might be money for old rope for a for for certain businesses or certain people that I think for me I'd be encouraging people to have meaningful conversations with their vet and get the most out of it that they can. That's definitely great advice, Robert. What's your thoughts on it, George? Um, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a pilot scheme. It's a starting point, I suppose. I think um, you you look at it. It's it's two hundred and fifty pounds per option. And that's a great start. I do think that there's, you know, hopefully going forward, there's maybe scope to uh, make it a more rounder um, animal health package. Um, I think years ago, there used to be uh, animal health plans funded. And uh, that allowed an opportunity to sit down with your vet and actually come up with something that was bespoke to your business and, and, and really work at things and encouraged you to do it on a year-to-year basis um so the vet actually became part of that uh, process and if it's a stepping stone towards something like that then that's a good thing be interesting to see what happens going forward for those of you who are wanting to go into the scheme this year you do need to have proof that you've done some form of investigation into um the welfare intervention option which you've selected and you'll need a supporting document of advice action, which has been signed by an advisor. So this could be your vet. They can sign that for you. Um, and one other interesting bit with the scheme is the soils sampling you require to have a carbon audit to be able to claim the funding. And for this animal health and welfare interventions, you don't need to have a carbon audit, although it is recommended to have one. So it's a great thing to be doing as well. A lot, most people probably now have done a carbon audit and some of the things flagged up in the carbon audit may be things that can be carried out or or um, dealt with through the the PSF animal health stuff. So if we can combine the two, that's when I think the whole PSF stuff really comes to life. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's important as well that it comes down to having that contact. It, it, it's one thing involving your vet when you've got an animal that's not well or has a health problem, but actually involving them at a point that they can actually give you advice to benefit your business. Um, it's tapping into their knowledge. Get the, you know, It's an opportunity for them to get to know your business and, and really make that advice really targeted at certain things. So it, it, it's an opportunity there. I've definitely been told for year prevention's better than cure, I think. Sounds like this that if you can get the vet on board quickly, you can hopefully avoid some of the bigger problems because you've already started making changes and implementing things. And and the whole point of this is about sustainable farming in a carbon context, but actually sustainable farming involves prof- profitable businesses too. And if we can prevent disease outbreaks and, and issues, that's the best way to actually formulate a a profitable business as well more more live animals more more output is the best driver for a for profitability going yeah yeah and and even simple things along the biosecurity a lot of the um a lot of the the practices are are not expensive um it's just simple things and 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 getting into habit of doing things putting a sign up here and there they're not expensive and they could make a difference at the end of the day definitely worthwhile doing anything that could make a difference just talking about grant schemes um, some people might have seen that the sustainable agricultural capital grant scheme there has been an extension on the deadline for applications so the extensions until friday the 31st of march 
So you need to have received your items, paid for the items, fitted them and have them operational um, because you'll need to be taking geotagged photographs of them. So you need all this in place before you can submit your claim. Um, So make sure you try and get all things on farm by the 31st of March so you can still make your claim. Robert, you mentioned that IAX is around the corner and entitlement transfers are being thought about at the moment. Have you started doing many? Yeah, so really just in the last few days, I've really started thinking towards IAXIS. I mean, I, I really love IAX. I think it's a great, for us, it's a great time of year to see all our clients and um, get involved in their businesses. The, the process, though, so when it comes to entitlement transfers and things, there are key dates, and it is really frustrating for all involved when we miss a date or when there's pressure on. So the date for entitlement transfer, the deadline for that is... A, the 2nd of April, so it's six, six weeks prior to the actual IAX deadline. Um, so that 2nd of April deadline is really, really important. And we have several that have an annual transfer, so for like a least entitlement scenario or for whatever reason, there's, there's entitlements that need to be dealt with. But if a farmer situation has changed, the sooner we know about that, the better, the, the more time we've got to do something about it. And, and actually that includes those that have downsized and have got entitlements to sell because they've got a real opportunity they're worth they're still worth quite a lot of money you know that the, the value of that entitlement is pretty good and you'd be better to get it sold and get the money in the bank rather than sit, let them uh, wither on the vine so certainly if if your situation has changed or you think your situation has changed get in touch with whoever whoever helps you with iax or or um your single application form and and have that that valuable conversation and the same goes for greening and all the other parts of of a filling out a single application form that can cause bother is let's let's talk about it let's deal with it just now uh, rather than wait till the deadline and, and and hope that everything's fine george are you busy with them as well yeah there's um as always this time of year i think land transfers always seem to or farm sales always seem to happen in the run-up to the second april uh it's communication between solicitors, or you know, and, and your consultant. Um, if you can get everything through before the second April, great. Um, if you're working on a day after that, or if it's not going to happen until after the fifteenth of May, um, you've got to put some sort of plans in place, some sort of contingency. It's all about speaking to one another, really, and, and being realistic um, with deadlines, uh, because it, it, yeah. Second, second April. There's always a, there always seems to be a mad rush, just tidying up entitlement loose ends, and uh, yeah, planning planning's a great thing, and uh, speaking to people in plenty of time. It's definitely great advice to make sure you have good communication and plan ahead. I always find with IAX time that a lot of people haven't thought about what their stock numbers are, so stock numbers need to be from the first of March, and as we're in the middle of March now, I think it's a great time to look back to see what your stock numbers were on the 1st of March. It's much easier to look at them now instead of waiting till say the 10th of May when you might be filling in your IAX form and having a panic trying to remember what you had and trying to pull it out of your um, records. So it is a good time now just to go and have a look back and see what your numbers were on the 1st of March. George, you've been out crop walking recently? Yeah, I've started that, that time again and um, uh, the crops are starting to look for some, some nitrogen 
Um, I think a lot of people are holding off up here because the weather forecast is not that great. Um, and the soil conditions, I, I'm not really sure if, if tractors will be able to travel yet anyway without leaving massive ruts. Um, crops are surprisingly dirty, um, considering the frosty weather that we had before Christmas. But um, yeah, it's that time of year again. Um, I'm sure once we, once the sun starts shining, we get a bit of warmth, everything will go whoosh and uh, yeah, crops will start growing again. Yeah, down here, I think tractors are managing to get onto fields a bit more easily than, than they are up with you. Um, but I think people are holding off with the nitrogen down here as well. I always feel at this time of year, it's a bit like full spring because you are waiting for another burst of cold weather or some more snow to come. So, yeah, it's a really interesting time of year. I always love this time of year when things start getting going. And we know when we next meet up to, to record a podcast that things will be a lot further on than they are just now. You know, the, once we get into March, this hopefully sun comes out, things start to change. And uh, once we hit April, we're into full-blown spring. So, yeah, time to be optimistic. Yeah, so we'll see you all soon. Yeah, bye, Robert. Bye. The Rural Payments and Services online mapping system has had a refresh and update with increased functionality. The system is now called Map Viewer and Lupus Graphical Editor. The main benefit of the update is a reduction in the time taken to make fielder mapping changes, as well as getting access to PDF maps much quicker. The motto of the system is Save Time, Map Online. Many of the available features will be very useful as you look to submit your SAF form. So check out the dedicated FAS articles that talk you through the icons and make this system easy peasy for you to save time and map online. Find more info in the show notes. Corn crates are on the red list of birds of high conservation concern, but crofters can help their population numbers by providing tall vegetation or cover. Corn crakes need areas of grassland that contain clumps of tall plants such as nettles, flag iris or cow parsley. Corn crake cover can be a difficult habitat to create and maintain, as plants need to be at least 20 centimetres or 8 inches high for the entire breeding season. The Farm Advisory Service can provide you with bespoke advice on any corn crake cover areas that you're having problems with. Find out more on our dedicated webpage or get in touch via the details in our show notes. I'm joined this afternoon by Professor Davy McCracken, Head of the Hill and Mountain Research Centre at SRUC and Head of a wider integrated land management department there. I asked Davy, what's on your desk? And so I'm an ecologist, as I think you know, uh, and uh, so currently there's a lot of biodiversity oriented things on my desk, um, some of which uh, are looking at uh, the new agricultural support policy going forward. I sit in a number of advisory groups, um, one of which is um, supporting the ARIOB process, the Agricultural Reform Implementation Oversight Board, that's looking at um, environmental conditions that can be introduced um, onto direct payments. And myself and a number of others are trying to highlight what type of biodiversity conditions might be what's called proportionate to introduce there. Um, 
I've also worked on what we call high nature value farming systems um, in Europe as well as Scotland over the last 30 years. Um, and in Scotland, at least 40% of our um, farms and crops are of high nature value farm, of a high are of high nature value. And again, there's a lot of discussion in Ariob, but currently outside Ariob, um, about how can we potentially ensure that high nature value farms and crops across Scotland are recognised in the new framework um, and rewarded um, um, by the agricultural support payment. So, so there's a lot of that policy type stuff um, that, I'm, that I'm doing. Um, up at the um, the farms at um, Kirkton Ottertire, though, uh, we've markedly increased, thankfully, it's great to be back seeing people in person, um, markedly increased seeing um, uh, visitors um, to the farms. So um, just coming up in, in, in the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be engaging with, we have a wildlife and conservation management distance learning course. Um, they come to the farms uh, for three days over a weekend and a Friday um, every year. We've managed to re reinvigorate that. So my colleague John Holland and myself will be hosting them in, in, a, in, a, in a few weeks' time. And although they are doing wildlife and conservation management, you can't separate that from the agricultural issues in the hills and uplands of Scotland. So we are always talking to them about the agricultural challenges and the potential agricultural solutions that allows them to put um, what they're learning into that proper, proper sort of context. Um, but we've also got um, agricultural students from Ohio University um, scheduled in a couple of weeks' time, about 31, 32 of them, I believe. They're on a tour of the UK. Um, they're animal science and animal biology students, um, not these individual students, but their staff, last came to us in 2019 and really enjoyed hearing what we were doing at the farm. So we're really looking forward to actually um, um, host them. Uh, we're also hosting um, some... SRUC students, um, and again in a couple of weeks' time, in fact, that might be the same day as the Ohio students are there. Um, again, students looking at upland land management within SRUC, and they're coming to the farms to hear um, from um, um, my team about um, what we're doing there, why we're doing it, and why it's relevant to their course. And also, uh, we do have an industry, a farmer and industry advisory group that pre-COVID met in person on the farms three or four times a year just to hear what we were doing, advise um, on what they felt we were doing or planning to do and give us a heads up of what industry was was, was feeling and what challenges may be coming um, um, up or down the road. Um, we haven't met in person um, since COVID, uh, but we're meeting um, towards the end of March. Uh, an in-person meeting where um, we're going to be spending, you know, half a half a day outside on the farms, um, looking at the um, the sheep breeding project that, that started last year, um, and um, also looking at the the, the, the cows and the calves, uh, our sort of Aberdeen Angus short short, um, excuse me, shorthorn cross and calves and, and how they are performing, just to sort of um, ease the advisory group back into uh, the rationale of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Clearly, they couldn't come to us during COVID, but we didn't stop doing things during COVID. And there is, there's always lots of things on my desk. The final thing I'll say is we do a lot of work on um, using sensors and sensor deployment on livestock um, and in the environment up at Kirkton Octa Tire. Uh, I'm also involved. We were fortunate, SRUC was fortunate to get some funding from the South of Scotland Environment, um, sorry, South of Scotland Enterprise um, last year. And we're looking to deploy um, 
a couple of sensor, what we call sensor arrays, i.e. a range of different sensors, applying that. And one of those on our Barony campus and outside in Fries. Um, and ultimately later this year we'll be employing one on the Edelson Water, which is um, one of the um, rivers that feed into the River Tweed and is prone to flooding, in particular around the, sort of the Peebles area. And so we'll be working with Tweed Forum and other colleagues to deploy some of the sensors that we've pro proven can be used uh, up at Curtin Otatire to see if we can help them understand what's actually happening and in and around um, uh, the, the type of activities, the re-wiggling of parts of the river and the different activities they're asking farmers to undertake um, um, to reduce um, soil and, and, and other runoffs into the river um, along that stretch of uh, the Edelston water. Also, we do a lot of knowledge exchange activities um, away from the farms, uh, both in person and online. Um, a number of my um, um, team, uh, some of the, the EU projects we're involved in, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a, uh, a, a UK sheep farmers meeting being held down at Annick. Um, uh, I think it's um, later this week, um, uh, where we're going to be talking about um, some of the sort of uh, issues that, that's been highlighted by UK farmers, but also other farmers from other countries and um, other countries in the in the partnership uh, and the relevance of, of what they're finding um, about uh, health and welfare of um, sheep farm practices. Uh, but myself personally, what's on my desk um, immediately when I come back from holiday in a couple of weeks time, um, the Farming for a Better Climate programme um, is hosting a webinar. Uh, the webinar is entitled Farm Planning in Difficult, um, Difficult Times, Energy, Economy and Ecology. Not surprisingly, of the three presentations, I'll be giving the ecology presentation and I'll be speaking about high nature value farming in general, biodiversity um, in particular, and how I see um, agricultural support policies um, changing to reflect high nature value and biodiversity needs going forward. And of course, anybody, um, any listener who's interested in coming along to that webinar um, can register via the Eventbrite link that's um, made available um, through the show notes. I was born and bred on a hill farm in southern Scotland, just um, inland from Girvan in Ayrshire. So, uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of people, um, particularly in SRUC, wondered why I took over the Hill and Mounted Research Centre 10 years ago, but didn't realise that I come from a hill farming background. Originally, they saw, my, they saw me as, a, as an ecologist interested in biodiversity, but didn't realise it was my um, upbringing in hill farming and my work on these European um, high nature value farming systems that actually got me really interested in and passionate about the link between farming, farming practices and biodiversity. My interest in, in biology was, was triggered by um, uh, going to, uh, by doing biology at secondary school and I went to Glasgow University and did a degree called, in, called agricultural zoology which was looking at pest parasites of crops and animals. So lots of insects, lots of um, parasitology as part of that. That led on to me doing um, a PhD out in the island of Isla. There's a rare bird out there called the red-billed chuff. And I was looking at farming practices and how the farming practices influenced the type of insects that were available to the chuff to eat on. It's, it's primarily in, um, eats insects um, all year round. Uh, so I was looking at what insects were important in diet, what role did farming practices have to um, provide those insects and therefore what type of, how can we build those into sort of conservation management um, practices, agri-environment schemes etc for um, uh, the chuff on the island. And I've, and I've been very fortunate, although I did my PhD over 30 years ago, I have managed to keep 
working on the Red Bull Chuff um, on Isla um, ever since then. So it's it's something I look forward to going over to the island every May to um, help a colleague go around and check the nest sites and how um, how well uh, how many chicks each each pair have, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. With regard to my career, how did I get here to SRUC? Uh, I did my PhD at the West of Scotland Agricultural College, um, but um, registered with the University of Glasgow. After my PhD, I worked at Newcastle University. Um, back then, um, in England, there was a number of research and demonstration farms um, run by the Ministry of Agriculture, for um, uh, many of agriculture for farming and, and, and fisheries. Uh, they had a, an upland um, research farm at Reedsdale in Northumberland, and I was part of a team looking at trying to um, reinstate heather on the uplands where it had been lost um, by reducing sheep grazing pressure, uh, and I was looking at the insects um, side of things. Other colleagues were studying the, the vegetation, I was studying the impact on insects. Uh, I did that for two years, and then I worked for the UK's Joint Nature Conservation Committee, which all sounds very grand, but it was basically a UK version of uh, here in Scotland. Uh, uh, nature Scott, or what's now called Nature Scott, is now um, a sister organisation to the Joint Nature Conservation Committee. And that's where I first started looking at the um, European farming systems, the effect of the common agricultural policy um, on those, and that was back in 1992. So the McSharry, big McSharry major reforms in the common agricultural policy were kicking in then and that's where myself and other members of the team got really interested in what we're now calling these high nature value farming systems across Europe. I then came to SRUC in 1995 primarily as a lecturer, uh, sorry primarily initially um, actually as a working on a, on a short-term research project but within a year I got a permanent post as a lecturer and then I have reinvented myself probably about four or five times over the last 28 years to sort of get um, to where I am today. Outside of work as an ecologist, it's actually quite dif difficult to switch off um, because no matter whether you're driving around the country or um, walking around the town or the coast or even working in the garden, your mind's always saying, why is that particular organism, whether it's a bird or a butterfly or a, or a, or a snail, doing what it's doing sort of thing? And I do enjoy go going out and walking around um, in the countryside, um, and, and particularly um, and along the coast in Ayrshire. Um, and, um, and some of the upland walks that myself and my wife um, can do. In fact, we're, we're, we're going to Sky shortly after recording this. I'm looking forward to a week on Sky, um, and we'll just take whatever the, whatever the weather brings to us. As far as my passions, though, um, I really like cooking. It might seem, might, might seem um, strange, but I really do like cooking. And so the weekends are usually the time when, during the week, um, my wife and I are so busy with our respective works that, you know, during the week, it's, it's what we can knock together quite quickly. Um, but at the weekends, it's, 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 it's home-cooked meals um, uh, that I particularly like to cook, particularly using fish and um, particularly using sort of um, recipes from Spain or, 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 or Italy. That's a, that's a real passion of mine. So colleagues probably think that I am um, uh, work dominated and, and, and cannot think um, about work. But um, uh, I really like dancing, you know, um, and um, yeah, and just, 
you know, haven't we just because we've got to time in life, haven't been to as many weddings, etc., as we would normally have had um, um, a few a good few years ago. But yeah, you know, I like I, I do like dancing, sort of thing. But particularly to sort of nineteen um, eighties type music, and um, but particularly I, I, it's a bit too much to say I was a punk back in the day, but certainly punk rock was something that really sort of um, pushed my buttons, and I really I really liked the ethos behind it. So I suppose um, in summary. Um, I would just like to highlight that um, certainly our work at Krypton Octotire, the number of events we're holding on the farm, um, we, we're getting back to business as usual and I would hope to be able to um, welcome um, many of the listeners um, to the farms to hear more about what we're doing to address agricultural and environmental challenges in Scotland Uplands um, over the coming months and years. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rural Roundup. Throughout March, we're continuing to release bonus episodes, each telling a short story of a successful diversified farm business in Scotland. The most recent episode was released last week and features Lindsay Robertson from Long Island Retreats. Subscribe to this channel to make sure you get notified of these bonus episodes and we'll see you back here on the 22nd of March for our usual fortnightly roundup. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.